Hello, fantasy football nuts, and welcome back to a redraft fantasy football edition of the Big D Podcast. Before I bring in my buddy Todd, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. We can see all my content. Got a bunch of videos coming out this week and next week's. Get ready for the open next week. So, uh, you know, I'll have something for that. Also, check out the Big D Podcast on Spotify and Apple. So, uh, joining us from north of the border, whether he's talking hockey, football, or Canadian Football League, uh, Kyle Senna is always available for a chat. So, uh, Kyle, uh, you ready for a redraft? I mean, I'm always ready for football. A half hour before we, we started talking, Dylan, I just published my weekly CFL article for Going for Two. Uh, so, yeah, right over Going for Two and with the Full Press Fantasy Pod. And, yeah, always down to talk tons of sports, tons of fantasy sports. So always a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, so so obviously the fantasy football leagues are starting, drafts are already happening, and will continue to happen for the next two months. So one interesting kind of link that's become very popular within the last couple few years has been a redraft league. And uh, Kyle, what is so fun about a redraft league? I guess the idea is you can you can concentrate, especially if you like drafting. The whole focus is on the draft every year. And each year you kind of go in and can redraft an entire new team from start to finish. We all love drafting so much as part of the, the fantasy football mentality. I know if you compare it to, say, Dynasty, where you, know, you have a startup draft and then you have the rookie drafts every year. So you get that that draft you know, a little bit of drafting anyway, you know, whether it's three, four, or five rounds of rookie drafts, but never the big full drafting your whole team. So the, the redraft element, you know, if you make mistakes, it doesn't haunt you from year to year in terms of like affect your, your next team's year for success, unless you of course repeat those mistakes, but you, know, you can always learn from it and, and kind of change the strategy and change the team you have every year to kind of reflect what every season is going to look like or what you perceived every season to look like anyway. Yeah. It's like it's like having a whole new roster because if you were bad the year before, you think, ah, oh, I've got a reboot. Or if I'm the champ, I'm like, I'm like, okay, do it again. It gives it's like the new season in baseball, everybody stole zero zero and everybody's in first place and thinks they can win the World Series. Yes. Yeah, I thought the Blue Jays had a ton of hope this year from Canada in particular, but I, I don't know if they're doing that well. I don't think they're doing awful, though. I, think, I, I haven't necessarily been paying too much attention to baseball. 500 there, nobody's keeping up with the Yankees and the AOEs, trust me. Uh, the Yankees are like uh, 58 and 22 at the midway point. It's ridiculous what the Bronx Bombers are doing. All right, so good thing there's two wildcard spots. Three. Oh, Right. Yeah. The, the, yeah, that's right. Yes. That, that one game. Uh, yeah. See, yeah. Good. Expanding. Uh, but yeah, we expand, uh, I guess, uh, mine and, and yeah, dove into the, the, what I think again, look project and perceived to be the 2022 season in terms of how these players will finish. So I've created tiers. I know for myself drafting, I find drafting with tiers is uh, I think one of the, the best ways just to kind of see when you're in the draft, like the real time value okay, at, at this position, I've got, you know, tier at that, at it in, each position you have this many players that are within this value group and then the next value group. And then you can see, okay, at each position, how many players are left in the current value group of among players that are left on the draft board and kind of judge each pick on that merit based on, on all four of those positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So I, I find having rankings is important. But I think even more important, especially going into drafts, is having the tiers to separate those rankings even further and, and really be able to see value properly. So I, I always enjoy making tiers, but I also think it's very important to my personal draft success. Yeah, so uh, obviously, like most running backs, in most leagues, the running back position is ultra important because uh, if you don't have a running back, you're not winning your league. So... How are you running back to your list looking like? Well, the top tier, I'm hesitant. Do I put it's even this can could be like immediately separated into like a, a mini half tier is I guess that's a big question. Is Jonathan Taylor worthy of being a tier of his own? I'd imagine in a lot of single quarterback redraft leagues, we're going to see Jonathan Taylor go as the 101 this year. 
And I, I would also agree with that and rank him at one, but I also think there's two other running backs. I, I think are warrant consideration of, of that top end picking, especially, you know, in any form of half point PPR, but certainly in full PPR, I think Christian McCaffrey has just as much merit again and Derek Henry. Now both McCaffrey and Henry coming off injuries, but the upside they showed last year when they were on the field was tremendous. It was difference making even beyond what Jonathan Taylor was able to put up. And I think we, we see the youth with Jonathan Taylor, the better O-line, the stability at, at O-line and maybe even an improved quarterback play and thinking that it was a high touchdown year for him, but it was also maybe not completely out of the blue to, to think that he could score that many touchdowns because he was given a ton of opportunity as well. So, uh, yeah, so my top tier at running back this year is Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry. And, and I think I'm making these tiers kind of under a half PPR mindset, just to kind of you know, middle ground for everyone, I, I think, anyway. So what do you think of, of that top tier? Derrick Henry intrigues me because I've seen in some lists where he's not a where he's not that high, but then again, Tennessee runs the football so well. And you know, especially now with no AJ Brown and Julio, Henry's gonna get his touchdowns. But uh I think one guy you could put in, I think one guy you could put in there, I maybe I maybe on the bottom end of that list, but maybe a DeAndre Swift because of his PPL upside and Generally, Jared Goff is going to chuck. Is going to check down, and guess what? DeAndre Swift will be a PPL monster if that happens this year. Yeah, I definitely see the upside with Swift as he could jump into that group. He's in my second tier, which kind of comprises of everyone else. I believe will be top twelve running backs this year. So I, I definitely see him as that. Uh, certainly having that top ten upside. Um, he's been good with touchdowns as well. I think he's just gotten a low volume count in terms of number of carries and maybe not the best efficiency on the ground but uh good again pass catcher and he can score so any up up in volume any plus in volume for him could definitely lead to that elite uh scoring tier but yeah certainly i, I could definitely see it with swift so what about your second tier of running backs well yeah so aside from deandre swift you see some some uh, guys that have that pass catching upside austin eckler Joe Mixon, at least in talent. I know the, the Bengals have kind of always been a little hesitant to put him on third downs, but a guy like Najee Harris, who caught a ton of passes last year, sort of a workhorse every down back. And Saquon Barkley, I expect in this, uh, with new coaching staff in uh, New York to kind of you know, utilize every player's strengths. And that includes Barkley, who's already shown tremendous pass catching upside in the NFL. So yeah, you got Swift, Barkley, Harris, Eckler. Those are really you know, your pass catchers in this tier. And if it was like a full point PPR, this, those are the guys that you would really certainly elevate and think that they could maybe even get to that top tier. Uh, whereas the uh, maybe the, the less voluminous pass catchers that I also think are in this tier because of efficiency, high touchdown potential, uh, Nick Chubb. And again, you can count Joe Mixon as part of that, whether he's the pass catching group or the high efficiency group. I think he's in here regardless, but yeah, Nick Chubb, James Connor, Leonard Fournette and David Montgomery. Actually, I feel like Montgomery is almost more the, he's going to catch a ton of passes too. He's more the volume than efficiency type, but I think all those guys kind of mix and to me have that top 12 upside workload uh, or efficiency, or maybe a combination of both. And uh, yeah, so I don't know if there's any uh, surprises in that second tier for you or anyone that I view as the top 12 running backs this year. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, maybe, maybe one guy you didn't mention was Aaron Jones, but I mean, how much do you believe in the A.J. Dillon will cut into Aaron Jones's workload? Yeah, and I think, you know what, I'm looking at my third tier, and it's funny because I would expect there's another name in that third tier that everyone would think should be in that second tier. I'm kind of uh, fading him pretty hard this year, but it's, it's actually another NFC North running back. We'll get to that in a sec, but you're right. Aaron Jones probably is the name that stands out to me that could certainly raise into the second tier and into this top 12. Yes, a little concerned maybe on the total number of carries, but I also wonder if Aaron Jones will still maintain the most valuable touches from the running back perspective. Certainly, I mean, he, he, he's been the number, number two on receptions on the Packers, I think three years in a row, every year under the Matt LaFleur scheme. And with no Devontae Adams, he could even elevate to be the, the top overall target and, and team leader in receptions this year. So certainly high value in, in that role. Again, especially in PPR leagues, I think he would definitely fit into this second tier. But 
and as a Packers fan watching last year, I can remember some plays where Dylan would start as the inside the five, he'd get the first crack at getting those valuable carries that could lead to touchdowns. And if he couldn't punch it in, they'd some, they'd then bring Aaron Jones in and he'd find a way he's got that nose for the end zone, the instincts to find the holes. And I think that that vision and quick burst that, that Jones has still serves him best as the goal linebacker, even though you look at Dylan and you think it's him. So I think because of the valuable touches, I'd still rather have Aaron Jones in fantasy football. Yeah, one guy we didn't mention was Saint Stall, Alvin Kamara, and uh, obviously a great talent. But A, he's coming off, he's dealt with injuries. B, Sean Payton's not there to design plays. And C, he he is likely to get suspended based on uh, what happened during the Pro Bowl week in Las Vegas. So uh, how will Kamara's likely suspension affect his ranking? Yeah, he's outside my top 20 for sure. I've got him at RB22 right now. And I think he's he's in the in the he's not even in this third tier. He's in to me in the, in the fourth tier where there's still a lot of question marks about a lot of guys. So uh yeah, I mean uh I and I also think last year Winston was still throwing him the football some, but but I believe the uh Kamara didn't break the record that I was expecting him to for most catches by a Jameis Winston running back, which I think still belongs to Charles Sims. So dramatic decrease in receptions. I'll have to look, but I, cause I think Kamara failed to even catch 50 passes last year. He did get hurt in some games, but a high, a good touchdown year for him last year. Um, and could definitely repeat that efficiency once he returns. But I think the role, the lack of pass catching, that compared to what we've used to seeing from him, I think is a, is a huge factor to me that uh, I wouldn't want to invest him in it, it, whether it's dynasty, certainly here in redraft though. So I think, uh, yeah, that's why, again, I've got him at RB 22. And uh, once we get down to that third, that fourth tier at running back, we'll talk about the kind of the reasons why I've got him with a bunch of guys that I think are, have big question marks next to them. Uh, but uh, I think another player that falls under that same category as Kamara, not as much of a suspension worry, I don't think, uh, same draft class here, 2017, Dalvin Cook. And, I, and I'm seeing him go as you know, maybe that one guy that could be even in that top tier at running back as, as a mid-first-round pick in, in single QB redraft leagues. And that ADP to me is I, – I don't buy into it at all. And I think last year one of the things we saw was Dalvin Cook, in his career, he caught the fewest amount of receptions he's ever done in his career less than he had 32 last year and the year he tore his ACL and missed not quite half the season. He played a little more than half, but that year where he missed a significant chunk of the end of the year with an ACL tear, he had 34 catches. So even though he played, I think it was 15 games last year, his pass catching role also drastically reduced kind of like Kamara. So I'm kind of out on cook as a top 12 back because of that. I really think Justin Jefferson runs this offense now. I don't think I absolutely agree. Pat, offense, you've got a pass, you've got an offensive head coach there, and guess what? That means more Kirk Cousins, more Justin Jefferson, more Adam Thielen. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, this it doesn't run through Cook as a as one of the main. Well, he, and he might still be third on the team receptions, but I think it'll be drastically Jefferson and. and Thielen and I think Cook will be kind of fighting alongside KJ Osborne and Irv Smith for targets as opposed to those top two. So uh, obviously uh, under quarterbacks and to me if I'm in a redraft league I think there are three there are a couple guys you could put in the top tier but to me number one on the quarterback tiers list would be uh, Josh Allen. Would you agree with me? Yep, back-to-back years is the QB1. Tough to think he'll repeat that again, but even if he doesn't quite match that, his I think his level of production, his ability for touchdowns, not through, just through the air, but certainly on the ground, makes him the, the prime and obvious candidate to be the QB1. Can he, can he catch passes? I want to see Josh Allen throw a touchdown pass to himself. I mean, if Marcus Mariota can do it, I'm sure Josh Allen can figure out a way. Oh, no. no. You're not talking Marcus Mariota from that wild card game against Kansas City, right? Well, it depends on deep you want to go into these tiers here. But in this in this top tier, though, while I do think Allen is the QB1, I even think to last year, 
Uh, he was the QB one and yet the QB two and three, I think were within a, a single fantasy point per game of him. And I think, and uh, you know, Justin Herbert was right there within, you know, an, an extra, a couple extra touchdowns for him or Tom Brady and either of them is the QB one. And I mean, it actually depends on scoring setting. There might've been some formats reduced rushing scoring or, or, you know, higher points per completion where Brady or Herbert might've been the, the higher scoring quarterback last year. So while I, I have Allen at one, I don't have him in a tier of his own. So Herbert, the aforementioned guy is, is in that tier. Also Patrick Mahomes. So I think that's kind of the, the tier of three top quarterbacks for me. And I kind of feel like my initial impression, just looking at early ADP and even just a, a, a bit of one redraft league so far, it's a bit of a different structure. So not necessarily a conventional redraft league. Uh, but so far, I think what's probably going to happen is Allen certainly, but also I think Mahomes to a certain extent will get overdrafted and Herbert will end up being a value in redraft leagues and single quarterback leagues, where if you wait maybe a round and a half, maybe even two rounds later than where you took Allen, you might end up with Herbert. So He's the kind of guy to watch out for, I think, where he might seem like, you know, in a single quarterback league, making a fourth or fifth round investment in a quarterback might be a little much. But if he finishes the year at QB1 overall, I think it's very realistic to think he can. That that could be the, the value in drafts. So, Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen drafts and like ADPs of quarterbacks and like the, the high, mid-high mid 30s, 40s. But I feel like Herbert's that swing guy because if he – if he just ascends and not if he ascends, you get great value in the full fifth round for him. Yeah, he might be going in the third or second round next year, right? And that's the kind of – you don't want to take him next year. You want him the year before he makes that ascension. Yeah, a couple other intriguing guys this offseason on the quarterback market all. Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, and uh, obviously with Kyler, it's a question of whether or not the Arizona Corners believe in him. Why they haven't given him all the money is a bit confusing because, to me, you've got to stand behind your franchise quarterback. But what are your observations on the uh, two on the two bird quarterbacks? It's funny because I'd, I'd, I'd throw Jalen Hurts into that same tier of those. Okay, my Three next third quarterbacks then. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, right. Even the Eagles, right? But I think those are the next three where they all have that rushing skill set. So especially with like if, you know, if there's leagues where it's like points per completion and things like that nature, then I might go to this. What I have is this next tier after those top three is a pretty big tier of nine quarterbacks. And I think who you rank as the QB four, for instance, will depend on scoring settings. If we just go with conventional scoring settings, uh, the rushing upside of those three Jackson hurts and Murray would be kind of my order. Uh, I love the weapons that Jalen hurts has received and yeah, Lamar Jackson kind of hurt without Marquise Brown, but I still think the one thing that separates Jackson from those other two is the high touchdown percentage. Uh, He throws a lot of touchdowns and maybe doesn't necessarily run as many as certainly Jalen hurts last year. Um, but I think the, the passing touchdowns can kind of help sustain the weekly floor where he doesn't have to, I mean, cause Jackson, I remember one season recently where he, he only had, I think two or three carries inside the five, like not someone who's running a lot. I think that was JK Dobbins rookie year. And a lot of the carries inside the five went to JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards and even Mark Ingram to a certain extent. I think Ingram had more carries inside the five and was cut halfway through the year and still had more carries inside the five all year than Jackson did that year, because he's not necessarily running a lot inside the five, but he is throwing a lot and really efficient with that. So that touchdown efficiency kind of leads me to think of Lamar Jackson still as the QB four, but yeah, Murray and hurts right behind him. I have hurt. I have Jalen hurts as the QB five. So I, I buy it. I love that they've added AJ Brown. I think that could take everything to a whole nother level. And I mean, Hertz had 10 rushing touchdowns and Boston Scott had 10 rushing touchdowns. If you ask me who I think will see is more likely to see a reduction between those two, I would say it's probably Boston Scott. So I think Hertz has room to repeat what he did rushing wise, but also up things passing wise, maybe not get to like a Lamar Jackson, you know, his MVP season where you threw it, I think 9.6% touchdown rate. That's probably not going to happen. But even if he gets close to 30 touchdowns, I think that'll be, great for Hertz to to get that top five upside if, if his rushing also maintains and, and all those rushing touchdowns could Hertz get 25 passing and eight ten on the ground is that all is that outrageous I think that's reasonable I may believe in Hertz more than than most but I think that's definitely there 
I I think Hurts can be a top six eight quarterback this year. And I mean, he, I mean, did he finish as a top five last year? I don't know if he finished the year, but I think I know for stretches of the season last year, he was in the top five. So, uh, yeah, yeah, based on rushing alone. And by the way, Miles Sanders on this. I hope I'll hope that Boston's got doesn't score double digit touchdowns again this year. But um, we'll leave it at that. Well, and that's the thing. And that's, that's the one where it could, if Miles Sanders is going to get a a swing back and get a bunch of touchdowns, it probably, it comes from Boston Scott's total, not necessarily from Hertz's total. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe Miles Sanders and Boston Scott combined for like 25 touchdowns, but, but I, I kind of think Hertz that touchdown production for him is safe. And if, again, he had, I'm looking up, he had 16 passing touchdowns last year. So there's definitely room for it to even, if he can reach 22, and double his career total suddenly in a season like that's that probably really helps him maintain this this top five production so like, uh, go ahead well like i said it's a big tier and so there's a quite a few more inside this tier. it's not just these three i have six other quarterbacks in this tier too so i don't know if you want me to keep going with that so um couple so a couple guys quarterbacks everybody everybody's seen the past what 15 20 25 years Aaron Rodgers and tom brady Obviously, are getting toward the end of their legendary careers. Well, where are those two uh, future Hall of Famers on the redraft list? Yeah, they're right there on this uh, in in this uh, second tier. I actually have Rogers at twelve and Brady at ten. I think the you know the changing of weapons. I think for them might hurt a little bit of that efficiency. I think for a guy like Russell Wilson, who's getting the maybe even the upgraded weapons, but certainly maintaining. And there's maybe not one receiver in the Broncos is as good as DK Metcalf, but the, the, the depth overall of the team, the structure, the better O-line might increase him. So I've got Wilson ahead of both of them. Um, and then Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow, I think a year removed from their, their serious leg injuries, we might also see some rushing upside from them. So kind of the in-between. Um, I mentioned earlier, like if this was like points, if you had a league where you, you gave points per completions and things like of that nature, I might even have Dak Prescott as the QB four. Uh, I think, uh, although I guess the one thing with him is losing Amari Cooper. Uh, that's unfortunate, losing Michael Gallup to injury. So may- maybe you prefer Burrow in that case. But I think, I think it'll come down to what the where those scoring settings lie. And uh, so I, I have a nice big tier here again of, of nine quarterbacks. Mentioned the three rushing, the rushing birds. We'll call them in Jackson, Hurts, Murray. Prescott, Burrow, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Matthew Stafford rounding out the top twelve. So, um, is where does Trevor Lawrence rank in your uh, redraft list? Because he's probably a better dynasty quarterback at this stage in redraft list. But what does could Lawrence be a top fifteen quarterback by years end, or is that or is that maybe a little too early? I think he could, but it's going to have to be a drastic change i think there's other quarterbacks i'd maybe you know I'd, I'd bank on other rookies from last year to kind of uh say that they're going to be top 15 namely like justin fields and trey lance and i got oh both god. of those two. Oh god fields with a defensive head coach and no weapons outside donald movie mooney and money oh i mean i don't i don't hate cole Komet as a tight end but i also cole think that's okay I, I think i mean i would argue i mean we'll see how bad matt eberflus is is he really going to be worse than Nagy? and i mean maybe he is but it, assuming he's not fields had some games last year where he managed to put it's up fair. a few a, like i think it was four top 10 weeks over the, the last seven including i think a, a qb5 overall finish one of those weeks so he's shown the flashes we really haven't seen anything from lawrence so if there's any of those quarterbacks from last year that i think can can rise up and be top 15 quarterbacks i think it's fields i actually have him ranked at qb15 he's okay. one spot ahead of daniel jones uh two spots ahead of tua and i know those guys their quarterback or sorry their coaching well, not so much for two, and not so much a co- coaching upgrade, but a coaching change, but certainly weapons upgrade for him, but certainly a coaching upgrade for Daniel Jones. Are those enough to, you know, should Fields really be the QB 17? But but that's, I'm, I'm going to hang my hat on him and on, on, on his talent. So if there's any of the rookies from last year, you can go for, I'd personally go with Fields. Um, where do I have? I have Lawrence at QB 21. Okay. So I'm not as much of a believer, but, uh, you know, 21 to 15 is only six spots. So it, it's not, 
couldn't to be fair though Lawrence finishing as the QB 21 would be an upgrade from last year. So it, it, it would still be a, you know, QB 15 is probably a drastic upgrade from, if you look at points per game, he was probably the QB 30, you know, 29, 30 among the starters. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm not as much of a believer in Lawrence, but I don't think it's impossible. Okay. So on the wide receiver where there is a, where there may be or may not be a clear number one, I don't know, but this Cooper Cup guy almost set every record in the book last year. He, he had a pretty good year, only one Super Bowl MVP. I think he's still catching passes from Matt, Matthew Stafford. Yeah, it's part of their breakfast routine is to just throw passes to each other. But the truth is... You, you look at the numbers and, and like he not only finishes the number one wide receiver, but just how much greater of a score he was than the number two finisher who had a really tremendous season. And I believe whether it's Devonte Adams or, or uh, Debo Samuel, I think they finished close enough where it might depend on the scoring setting PPR, probably more out towards Adams half point PPR, probably Debo just getting more of his production coming on the ground and the, and the rushing attempts, certainly in a point per carry league, it would be Debo, but like, regardless though, even in a point per carry league cup outs, cause I'm, I'm in a league with, uh, I think it's about point one two five point per carry. And I think cup still outscored Debo by about a hundred fantasy points. So it was, it was ridiculous. So if you think about it from that sense, Cup could regress and still finish as the wide receiver one. He could lose some of that production from last year, not as many touchdowns, not quite as much yardage, and still be the wide receiver one. But it, it's so difficult to repeat as the wide receiver one overall. We saw Antonio Brown do it three years in a row, which was insane, which actually might be the best way to describe Antonio Brown, to be honest. Um, but outside of Brown, we really haven't seen it since Jerry Rice. So to... And, and, you know, Cooper Cup season last year was so great, but it'd be Calvin Johnson put up years, maybe not as many touchdowns, but just as much yardage that we thought, oh, okay, this is, this is insane. This is ridiculous. And he was never quite able to replicate that 2012 season, for instance, where he broke the single season receiving record. I mean, he wasn't the wide receiver one in 2013. I believe that might've been Josh Gordon, to be honest. <laughs> oh, what, a, what a flashback uh, that is. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, part of me says yes. But I also, because of that history of repeating as wide receiver one, I don't have Cup in a in a tier of his own, similar to Jonathan Taylor argument, okay. similar to Josh Allen. So while I have Cup at one, it's teetering between him and Justin Jefferson, honestly, in redraft. What we've seen him do through two years, I don't know. As the offseason goes on, I might even be bold enough to rank Justin Jefferson ahead of Cup, even in redraft, but certainly here in Dynasty. I think if it's a dynasty league, Jefferson would be my top receiver, but you could go either way. I think I'd rather have the cup safety net because he'll get to catch, but Jefferson's just so talented. And the offensive-minded coach right now might even make Jefferson even more dull more difficult because now you've got Kirk Cousin with an offensive-minded coach, so more knows what he's going to do with Kevin O'Connor there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, Sean McVay ties in Con- O'Connell was Sean McVay's offensive coordinator and Cousins has been in a, a Sean McVay offense before back in Washington. So it's not like the, those concepts that a McVay offense has are going to be completely new to Cousins. He's kind of used to that already. So it might not necessarily be a, a tough adjusting period either. So they can immediately get to immediate production. Like we were talking about earlier, reason I'm so low on Dalvin Cook is because I'm higher on guys like Jefferson and Thielen. So. Yeah, I have Cup and Jefferson almost in a mini tier of their own in terms of the wide receiver one tier. But frankly, you can sell me on four different receivers in the first round of a, of a, a redraft league, even single quarterback. And Cup, Jefferson, and the other two are... Let me see if I can guess the other two. Sure. Is Jamal Chase one of them? Yes. And the other one is Stefan Diggs. Exactly. Yeah, those are my top four receivers. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd right now, I'd, I think I would rank it Cup, Jefferson, Chase, Diggs, but you could almost rearrange that order to any of those four. I think all four of them, I know, I know Diggs, you were mentioning earlier with the touchdowns, maybe there's less of, of, a, of a shot of that, but I think, I think any of those four could really be the wide receiver one this year. And that's why I've got them all in one tier. So I'd be fine spending a first round pick on any of them. Digs, it'd probably have to be the, the you know, the 111, 112, where I, I could kind of almost guarantee who my next pick was going to be, but I'd be comfortable making digs that first. You know, if, if I've got digs and, and I'm sitting there and it's, oh, Chubb, Harris, 
DeAndre Swift, you know, three or four running backs that I like all of them. And you got Diggs there and, and those other three receivers are gone. I'm probably taking the shot on Diggs at the end of the first and whichever running back falls to me in the second, being content with that, as opposed to forcing it with a running back and having to dip to the next year at receiver. So I, I, I view Diggs as a difference maker, and he's probably the one of those three that you won't necessarily see go in the first round either. He might be someone that you're able to access still in the mid second of, of a redraft league too. So I really like Diggs to maybe even improve what he did in 2020 and at, at the very least, maybe replicate those numbers. And certainly that volume, he had just as many targets last year, but you know, efficiency with the yards went down and less catches. So I think he might be able to get back to that. Here's an interesting question. What do you stack? Wide a quarterback, wide receiver, and redraft because we've heard of stacking, whether it be DFS, fantasy, all kinds of leagues, whether it be a Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Patton Mahomes, and Tyreek Hill when they were together, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Do you, do you, if you draft a Stephon Diggs or Jamar Chase, you pair him with a Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert with Keenan Allen? I think it's all about opportunity cost. You, you, you want like, I think stacking, there can be an advantage to it, but I also think you don't want to give up draft value just for the sake of stacking. So, and I think the idea is what's the purpose of stacking. So the idea of having two players in the same team is to kind of, you know, minimize the, the different number of outcomes and focusing on, on one single outcome happening. And when it happens is you double up those chances. So if, you know, you know, the most conventional stack in fantasy football is a, any a quarterback with any of their pass catching targets. So you could even do it with a quarterback to a running back, maybe less likely because of the, you know, running back taking a rushing touchdowns away. So you'd most likely like to correlate your quarterback with a wide receiver or a tight end. And anytime that quarterback throws a touchdown to that in specific pass catcher, you get double points. You got it on the passing points and the receiving points. Now, I think why you'd want to stack, I think, is it for weekly upside and matchups. And so I think the best advantage to stack is when either the quarterback or the pass catcher you're, you're throwing to is a player that you wouldn't necessarily play every week. So we'll go with the, that top 12 list of quarterbacks I mentioned. That's probably the list you want to go with as your starter. So if you're, if you're going off that list of those top 12, any of the pass catchers that they have, I mean, like to where I think all of them are going, even to some of the later guys like Rogers and Stafford, they're still going in a range where you're drafting other starters. Like they're going to be going in the, the seventh, eighth, ninth round to where you know, if you've got nine, 10 starters, that, that's kind of the, the end range of where the starters should go, quote unquote. And so because of that, you're, you're basically drafting them in ranges where you're going to start them every week. So whether it's good or bad matchups and in a single quarterback league, you can maybe get away with, you know, still drafting one of those guys, but also getting a later guy to kind of play against those matchups. But I think that the best advantage is when, when you have one of those quarterbacks, especially a quarterback that you you want to kind of play every week, you know, maybe think of, of a rushing quarterback, like a, like a, a Lamar Jackson, for instance, maybe be a really good example of this where you want to take him and, while you could stack him with Mark Andrews, it probably you're probably actually having to draft Mark Andrews before you're, you're drafting Lamar Jackson in redraft leagues. So it becomes a kind of a cost prohibitive thing where you've already invested, you know, two of your top six picks in the Ravens offense and on this. But if you were to take Lamar Jackson and say stack him with Rashad Bateman, who's going a little later, or even take a, a, a really late shot on like a James Prochet or Devin Duvernay, whoever you think can emerge as the wide receiver two on the team. Then what you do is Jackson's going to be in your lineup every week, whether it's passing or rushing, he should still score enough. But what you do is if you've got a, a, we'll say, we'll take Bateman, for instance, he might be someone who's going in a range in redraft leagues where you're still not like, he might be going into the ninth, 10th range where you don't feel like you have to start Bateman every week. But if if you have Lamar Jackson on your team and you have Bateman, you've spent a sixth and and a ninth round pick on them. It's pretty nice value there to where, again, you're probably playing Jackson every week and you're only going to play Bateman when you think, oh, this game could be a shootout. Oh, this is a game where Lamar Jackson will probably have to throw a lot. Games where you think, okay, the Ravens are going to crush this team. They'll run all over them, literally. Like like Lamar will get a lot of his points on the ground. Don't play Bateman. Oh, this is a matchup where it's tough run defense and Lamar, you know, good passing defense for fantasy so Lamar can throw some touchdowns 
banking on, okay, Bateman catches one of those touchdowns and those are the matchups you take him with. And it doesn't just have to be Jackson and Bateman, obviously. So the the most ideal time to stack is when you don't have to play the player every week. Because like if, you know, Lamar Jackson, or sorry, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, for instance, you're drafting them, you're playing them in your lineup every week. You're not, you know, especially Diggs. Like you, you can't ever, tr- you, you know, he's the kind of player where one, you know, one long touchdown catch pays off the week and, and oh, I should have played him just based on that one catch. But he'll also get the volume to kind of make up for that. So if you've got Diggs and Allen, you're spending a second and third round pick on them, maybe even a first and second round pick if you really want to get aggressive and everything is tied to them. It's two players that you're going to play in your lineup every week so that you were going to already get all the touchdowns they had. But if you stacked with, so let's say you take a, you know, you don't take digs, but you take Josh Allen in the third round and you stack him later on with a Dawson Knox or a Gabe Davis. And then even those guys are going, you know, I guess Dawson Knox, if you trust your ability to get a late tight end, you take Dawson Knox and then you take another tight end and you kind of only play Dawson Knox the, the weeks where you think you can predict his touchdowns. Those would maybe be the ideal ways to stack. And that also takes having to predict those weekly touchdowns also. So while I think stacking can be useful, I think two, there are some stacks that are just too expensive. And I think Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs is probably the prime example for that. I'll be honest, in a single quarterback redraft league, like a Josh Allen's second, third round pick is too expensive for me to want to take him anyway, let alone the, the, you know invest all that in the stack. Even like a Kelsey Mahomes, that seems pretty expensive. Herbert, and I mean, if you can get Herbert in the fourth and say Williams in the fifth or sixth, or, or Allen, whatever one is cheaper, that might work too. Even that one's probably a little expensive. You're probably going to that next year quarterback. So if, if you're going with a Lamar Jackson, you're stacking him again with maybe Rashad Bateman. Do you stack Jalen Hurts not so much with AJ Brown because he's more expensive, but do you stack Jalen Hurts more with a Devonte Smith? Is you know with you no know, with AJ Brown in town, does Smith's price fall to where it's really easy to stack those two? Those would be the types of players I would look to maybe stack more. Does that all make sense? Yep. So um, one other position is tight end. So to me, I think there's a clear top two guys in tier one, and it would be Travis Kelsey and Kyle Pitts. Am I crazy? It's funny because I only have Kelsey in the top tier for redraft. Um, And I actually have Pitts down in my third tier. Uh, which is still tight end four. I just, I'm very stingy with these top tiers. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of the more anti Kyle Pitts fantasy people out there. Um, I think I still need to see that he can produce at a difference making level difference making, especially compared to like to where he could match guys like Kelsey and, and the guys that I have in my tier two. Um, he was the, I think, well, I believe he was the tight end 11 in points per game last year, 10, 11, depending on scoring settings. And that's in a range where, you know, the, the guys who are finishing tight end eight through tight end 18 probably aren't scoring that much of a difference. So it might be, you know, one or two fantasy points total, but you know, it separates eight from 18 in that entire group. So that's kind of where Kyle Pitts was last year. I'm not necessarily convinced the Marcus Mariota Desmond Ritter offense will allow him to exceed to that next level to where he's really getting that difference making production. And I frankly just think he's going in a range where he needs to, he has to get that difference making production to pay off on it. So I would, I'm not going to call you crazy, but I definitely think I'm on the anti Kyle Pitts side. And, and I think you're, you seem to be on the pro Kyle Pitts side. So we're a couple, we're kind of on opposites here. That's interesting. That's interesting. Maybe it- Maybe it's because you think Kyle Pitts is the – I think Kyle Pitts is the guy in Atlanta when you think the quarterbacks are not the guys in Atlanta. Yeah, I think he'll get the volume. I mean, he certainly had last year. I, I mean, really, the, the, the big thing was touchdowns. If he can get more touchdowns, that would probably help him elevate to where he could be the, the tight end six in points per game, and that's kind of closer to maybe not quite Kelsey range, but still the, the difference making where it's separating that, that from that tight end two range. Whereas like what we see a lot of the years, the back end tight end ones, the guys who are finishing tight end eight through 12, they're not really that much of a difference between the guys finishing 13 through 24, even like it's, so it's, it's, you know, tight end kind of almost gets cut into mini tiers and can Kyle Pitts excel to the next tier. Um, you know, he had 110 targets, so he does, he could go up that there is room to, for him to get more targets in his second year. 
And imagine, you know, Matt Ryan, as great of a quarterback as he's been through his career, not really a great red zone quarterback. So maybe that's almost one thing where Marcus Mariota could be an upgrade. I'm also maybe uh, more of a Mark Mariota apologist than most. So again, I, I've got Pitts at tight end four, just not tight end one. I'd rather, you know, he's he, he's someone where, you know, you, you tell me uh, I've got to pick Kyle Pitts or Josh Allen in the third round. That's maybe where I can get into to drafting Pitts where I don't necessarily want to dive too much further into the tight end ranks where of like guys I'm going to draft where if I, you know, after a certain point, I'd usually just ignore, you know, if, if uh, cause I think that the worst place to be this year for tight ends is drafting in, in the mid rounds, drafting the guys like after pits that go in the, the, you know, the fifth, the sixth round, I'm not as crazy about the guys going there, even though I might have them in my higher ranked tiers, I'd rather you know, spend the early pick on, I'd still be okay spending a first round pick on Travis Kelsey, to be honest. I mean, I was talking about a first round pick on Stefan Diggs. It seems to make more sense to even go Kelsey. So I'd be okay with, with Kelsey as, as a first rounder. Um, and I really like the guys in my second tier, which I guess I'm going to just transition to now Dylan here, but uh, I have Mark Andrews and George Kittle still ahead of Kyle Pitts. So I really want to target those top three. I want to leave, you know, drafts. If I've got Kelsey Andrews or Kittle, I'm happy at tight end and I'm probably not even drafting a backup. I'll worry about the backup the week before those specific bye weeks or if one of them gets hurt, like I'll, to me, I'll, I'll maximize the rest of my draft trying to get the best of the rest of the positions. Cause I think I've got my, my tight end set. If I don't get one of those three, I'm probably okay waiting until the double digit rounds. Cause I think those guys in the, the 10 to 13 rounds are just as good as the guys maybe going in the six through nine rounds. How much are you worried about Trey Lance's rushing upside with Kittle? Because we've seen running cornerbacks. I mean, Mark Andrews last year was great. It's great whether Lamar played or not. But, you know, if Lance is playing, the 49ers might run the ball more with their quarterback, which means fewer targets for Kittle and maybe more maybe more of a Debo, Brandon Nayug, Elijah Mitchell game plan than with Kittle. Yeah, I think I almost wonder though, with if Lance runs a lot, does that help extend drives? It, it more drives go longer, maybe sure. more, you know more touchdowns, less field goals. So th- there is maybe an advantage. I don't think it's all doom and gloom, but you're right. It, it could just take away from the overall passing volume. Although I'd imagine if, especially for adding a bunch of rushing attempts from the quarterback spot, Debo is probably the one that gets hurt most in production. He's maybe not getting as many, uh, you know, carries, especially carries in the red zone, which led to a lot of touchdowns last year. So I could see Debo being almost the most hurt by the, the production. It seems like the Jimmy G led offense was almost perfect for Debo. Whereas Kittle can still kind of maximize low volume. So I don't, I think Debo's suffers bigger from Trey Lance than, than George Kittle does. That would be kind of my takeaway. I think the bigger threat to Kittle is simply like you're saying, is this a Debo Ayuk offense? Are those two sucking up all the targets? That's maybe the bigger threat to Kittle. And we haven't really seen enough from Lance. Uh, the games where Lance played last year, I think Kittle played one of them. And he, he didn't really see many targets. Um, so for, from the in the small sample size, it doesn't look great. It looks like he might be the third string fiddle. Uh, that is George Kittle as in terms of targets. But uh, that's also a really small sample size. We don't know what it's going to be like through a training camp and and through the course of an entire regular season, especially if Debo hasn't been there in the off season, maybe this does kind of start a very Kittle centric passing offense to start the season. So, cause I think, I think a lot of training camp, it's been Trey Lance getting all the first team reps. So if he's getting that extra chemistry with Kittle and Ayuk, I wonder if, if those two aren't as hurt as much and, and Debo is really the one that suffers in production. Well, it's going to be an interesting question. What's going to happen with Jimmy G what's going to happen with Baker? And eventually by the time September comes around, we're going to find out what happens with all these players, whether it be redraft, quarterbacks, or everybody. Can I ask you one question? Because I'm really curious. I want to just go back to the running back tiers what? and talking about the fourth tier where I have Alvin Kamara. And this is like, I have Kamara at RB22, and this fourth tier to me goes 22 to 27, with Miles Sanders being that RB27. I'm not even sure if he should be there. He probably feels like he should be in that next tier. But I think there's a lot of question marks in that tier. And, and I just wanted to get your take on some of these question marks. So there's Kamara. Uh, the rest of my rankings after that go J.K. Dobbins at RB23, Brees Hall at RB24, Travis Etienne, RB25, and Kenneth Walker at RB26. 
Oh, so any of those names stand out as again, this is the same tier as Kamara. Uh, do you think any of them are kind of well placed? Do you think some of those guys are too low, too high? What what, what are your thoughts about that? I, I might be before young. Guys. I might be I might be a little biased because I'm a Jags fan, but I feel like Travis Etienne feels a little low to me. I know we haven't seen him in the NFL except for that that one game where he wrecked his foot, where he hurt his foot in the dome. Why Travis Etienne always sucked in the Superdome at Clemson's beyond me, but he went awful. <laughs> he well, was no, I could see winless that, I think. in the Superdome, but I feel like Travis Etienne, especially in a PPO format, he, Lawrence and Etienne have got the chemistry, and we know Doug Peterson likes to run the ball. So... I feel like Etn, if he's healthy, and the Jags give him the job with James Watson coming back from the torn Achilles, I think Etn could be a sneaky top 15, 20 guy in redraft leagues. Okay, uh, so I guess again for myself right now, I would have him at I said twenty five, but I mean to be fair, but you know. J.K. Dobbins, Hall, Walker, Etienne, I mean, he hasn't really proved in the NFL, but in theory probably has the most pass-catching upside. It seems like he might be destined for that role. So even in a half-point PPR league, maybe it makes sense to have him at RB23 at the very least. So then I, my question to you would be like, out of the guys I have in the top 20, say, who would you kind of replace? Um, so at 21 is A.J. Dillon, 20 is Elijah Mitchell, 19 I have Cam Akers, 18 Javante Williams. Uh, that I, you know, Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson ahead of that. So any, any of those guys stand out as being too high, you would kind of flip-flop with Etienne. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think of Josh Jacobs this year. I've never drafted him in any of my leagues. I'm not going to draft him. I don't know. I don't know what to think of him. I don't want to play that miracle round of Raider running backs. It's funny because I remember one year it was the Canada cup, a bunch of us Canadians get together, fantasy football, big league. And I remember I went with kind of a, a hero RB approach, or I think it, it didn't mean to be, but it just, cause all my other running backs got hurt. And I went with Miles Sanders in the first and Josh Jacobs was there and kind of looking back, it would have been better to have Josh Jacobs. That was a year Sanders dealt with a lot of injuries that year. And Jacobs was healthier played more so just overall more production and i i had a really bad early stretch and made up for it at the end of the year but i still missed out on the playoffs because that early stretch so that was a year where i wish i would have drafted jacobs but it's because i drafted miles sanders so that that shouldn't always mean draft jacobs just maybe i mean don't draft miles sanders so um but yeah okay so jacobs makes sense he did catch a lot of passes last year but now it's a new regime again and that was something where he caught that when Basashi was the head coach. It wasn't under the Gruden regime. It was this, that the, 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 I guess the, the you could really uh, uh, time stamp that uh, when, when Rich Basashi was the head coach, of the Raiders, right? We know it's a, it's a, not quite a half a season, but like a, a two thirds of a season stretch. And that was the long, the stretch where Jacobs has caught the most catches in his career. Now does McDaniels continue that? Or Josh McDaniel McDaniels. I can't remember if he has an S or not. Does he, I don't know if he continues that or not. He might not. To be fair, the way we've seen it with the, the Patriots, it does get split a lot, but it seems like the best pass catching back there probably still is Jacobs, even with Kenyon Drake on roster. And we don't know about his health. So that's one where I don't know. I, I really don't know how what direction the new coaching staff is going to go with Jacobs. If they reprise Let's his role from last year, I would think he definitely finishes top 15. If they don't, and it's really split up and a less efficient rushing upside touchdown that he's had in the past with that great offensive line a few years ago, it's not as good anymore. So less rushing touchdown upside also maybe hurts him. And maybe he does fall outside the top 20. I could see both scenarios. Three problems for Josh Jacobs this year, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. And I wondered, and part of me of uh, Adams being in my second tier of wide receiver, not first is I could see him getting the same type of volume that he had in green Bay. He had 169 targets. I think he had, over 160 the year before like i could see him getting that 150 160 targets again but just not the double digit touchdown so maybe jacobs does kind of maintain that because the raiders have been so good at running the for the touchdown jacobs has done really well with that is in his career he's kind of helped maintain top 15 rb status throughout his career simply because even without the pass catching a bunch of years he's still be able to to get those touchdowns so it, it, it yeah something's got to give with one of those two right so Either Adams or Jacobs is probably hurt from this. 
And I don't know, with the way my rankings are set up, I'm kind of thinking Adams is the one that's more hurt from this, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe this is now with Adams there, this is a passing first, because that's one thing that's hurt, kind of hurt Waller through his career. To, to, he's always, you know, he's had a couple of years where he's the tight end five, six, but never the tight end one, two overall because of the touchdowns. He's been lower than, a, you know, Kelsey getting double digit touchdowns. Even Andrews through his career has been pretty good for the touchdowns back to Lamar J- Jackson's high touchdown rate. Like I think Andrews has had seven touchdowns or more every year of his career, I believe. So that's a guy that's maybe, you know, that's held back Waller from reaching that true elite tight end one status uh, overall in any given season. And maybe that kind of also does the same thing with Adams. So maybe I'm kind of banking on that of Derek Carr isn't going to change as much. It won't, you know, Derek Carr is, to me, isn't the guy that's going to bump in big in touchdowns. And again, maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, Cause I've definitely seen, you know, aggressive drafting on Waller Adams and Carr to suggest some people think it is, it's going to be changing. Derek Carr is going to throw for 35 touchdowns. Josh Jacobs is only going to get six or seven. And in which case would really help your argument of Dylan that where he's not going to finish top 20. All right. So thank you for joining us to talk redraft car. I think it's fun. I can't wait to do some drafting of myself, trying to finagle my team, get the roster I want, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll all bring them the bait in this year. Yeah. I've again, I've got one redraft league and I started at Christian McCaffrey, Stefan Diggs, Leonard Fournette. And in a single quarterback league, I really love that start. Um, So now go get, now go get Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. I got Jalen Hurts later, actually. Oh, even, oh, I like the way you think. And CMC 102, guessing? Uh, It's a bit of a strange scoring with tight end scoring. Um, there were a couple of quarterbacks went in the first round. I ended up getting him at 108 as the RB3. Uh, Taylor and Najee went ahead of him, and Cup, Chase, and Jefferson all went ahead of him as well. So, yeah, um, I was a little surprised I was able to get McCaffrey at 108, to be honest. But uh, I also get it. This, this league does have some you know, different scoring settings uh, that kind of make it so, okay, I could see maybe why it was possible, but yeah. So anyway, that's, you know, I, I would say a good start to my uh, redraft year. So you far this, this year, 2022, uh, starting McCaffrey, Diggs and Fournette. 